0: Welcome to the Senia Happy Hour podcast with your host Lori Bol. We know you're busy, so we bring you one hour's worth of content in under 30 minutes, leaving you time for a true happy hour.
1: Well, hello everyone! Can you believe it's February already of 2023? And I hope it's going great for you. Today, I had the chance to speak with Richard Poland. Now, Richard and I met many years ago in Bangkok, Thailand, as I was teaching at the same school as his wife, Judy. Richard and Judy have a story to share, which begins with the birth of their beautiful daughter, Riley Ann. Now, February 28th is Rare Disease Day, and that day, they are raising awareness and generating change for the 300 million people worldwide living with a rare disease, their families, and carers. And thus, this is the perfect time to share Richard and Judy's story. They founded the nonprofit organization Teach Rare after discovering that Riley Ann has a rare disease called AADC. They're taking their learning as educators and parents and helping others in the rare disease community. I really know that you're going to enjoy our discussion today, and please reach out to them if you know of anyone who can benefit from their support. So now, on to the show. Hi, Richard, and welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, Lori. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, thanks so much for being here today and, and for sharing your story. You recently established a nonprofit organization called Teach Rare to support your community. And before we dive into what Teach Rare actually is, please tell us a little more about your inspiration for starting it, your Riley Ann.
0: Sure. So we're on a journey that's been happening for the last four years, and it's flipped up our life upside down. It began with our daughter having some sort of symptom that we couldn't explain. The doctors originally diagnosed her as having epilepsy. That never sat right with us, and so we went on this misdiagnosis journey. The doctors changed the diagnosis over time, but again, me and my wife didn't ever feel that the diagnosis matched with what we saw at home. So we continued to look for answers until one day we figure out eight months down the road that she has this rare disease known as AADC deficiency. And we only found out this through a random Facebook post that Judy's brother had sent that said, hey, here's this child that had similar symptoms as your daughter. And I began researching immediately. And in my heart, I knew that it was this rare disease, even though it affects only about 130 people around the world. So we're on this journey over the last eight months to get this diagnosis. And from that point on, we were just 100% committed to our daughter trying to figure out what she had, trying to care for her. It's not an easy chore. And then we get the diagnosis and we find out it's life-threatening. Uh, she probably won't live past the age of four and there's no treatment available. It's a genetic disease. So just horrible news and we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to go, what information we could get. So we again continue on to this journey and Over time, we were able to enroll our daughter into a clinical trial, learning about that process, learning how to care for her until she was able to get this uh, clinical trial. And we didn't know what to expect, but it's been miraculous. So now um, we have all this extra time between my wife and I, where we originally were dedicating it to her, trying to make her better and navigate this new community of rare diseases that we, we became exposed to. And now we have all this extra time so we definitely knew that we needed to give back to our community we had this rare unique chance to participate into a clinical trial for gene therapy where i found out later that many families in the rare disease community have been waiting for have been hoping for and here we were lucky enough to get that and then finally we had this background of education that we knew helped us support our daughter so we had a background of being able to go to school very fortunate family network very fortunate in our financial situation we're not rich but we definitely had the ability to invest in what we needed for our daughter so all of that combined together we knew that we had to get back to our community and try to help support the families that don't know how to research that don't know where to go to find the information and then more importantly what to do at home with their child because Oftentimes, they're having to pay money out of pocket for physical therapy if they're even lucky enough to have access to that. So they're very limited in what they can do outside of their home. And we see them so much in the daytime. So we wanted to bring that inside the home and help caregivers have strategies of education combine, combined with therapy goals.
1: Wow, uh, Richard, I, I really can't imagine what you and your wife must have been going through during this whole incredibly long process of the discovering the diagnosis um, all the way up to supporting her. When you received the diagnosis, what were your feelings? Were you relieved in some sense since you finally knew what it was? Uh, Tell me about that
0: Well, I know that um, Judy, it hit Judy very hard, my wife, it hit her very hard. And actually, I didn't tell her my gut instincts right away. I knew when I got that Facebook post that she had that rare disease. And I knew what that meant. I knew that her life was short. And if we didn't do something that she was going to pass away, I kind of held out giving her my feelings of what it was because I wanted time to kind of digest the information myself.
1: Sure.
0: Yes, I definitely was so happy to receive a diagnosis, but then at the same time, it was like a punch in the stomach of of finding out that it was gonna be a deadly disease. But I would say that in hindsight, we learned so much in how to care for her, what was happening to her, how to better support her. And one quick example was, In AADC deficiency, you see these seizure-like events, which is why the doctors originally thought she had epilepsy. So we secluded ourselves inside of our house. We didn't do anything. We turned down the lights. We tried to keep her sleeping. We didn't want to induce what we thought were seizures. Well, now we knew that they weren't seizures. We knew that we could be more active and go outside and do sensory things to try and help her and that we weren't going to cause a seizure. It was just an event that is called OGC for short, and she would work through it. And it did happen every three days, but we could plan around that and definitely encourage physical therapy, definitely do some of the play-based learning that we wanted to do with our daughter. And then we began not necessarily seeing tangible results because she was still very much paralyzed until she could have the gene therapy, but we could see things inside of her eyes and the way she kind of interacted with the world, that she was there, that she was enjoying those experiences. So yes, we did know a little bit more about how to care for her, but really at that beginning point, it was a it was a very hard pill to swallow. And it was a difficult thing to even talk about with my wife, let alone with anyone else.
1: Sure. Wow. <sighs> my heart <laughs> it hurts um so riley ann received the gene therapy and you you say it's a life-saving therapy can you expand yeah on that so some people mind? ask
0: yeah so some people ask were you worried that you're going to do gene therapy it was injected into the brain so it's pretty invasive and sure. you think about the brain you don't want to mess with that but our backs were against the wall. We were in the hospital every month in the ICU ward fighting to keep our daughter alive. And then if we weren't doing that, we were doing diagnostic tests. So I'm not lying when I say the nurses knew us. They yeah. they knew my daughter because she had this infectious laugh. They knew us because we were there. We were tag teaming. Either Judy was there or I were there switching back and forth between our jobs. So it was it was very hard to kind of go into that that new era where we're, we're trying to get answers. We get the answers. We're living at the hospital. And then at the same time, uh, trying to be parents, trying to make memories with our daughter.
1: Right. Wow. And so I've, I've seen Riley Ann on videos. You have a Facebook page and an Instagram account and things that we're going to share in our show notes. Thank and you. she is doing some amazing things.
0: Yes. And uh, I would go back to this has a lot to do with our educational background. Yes. Early intervention is something that's echoed through the educational community. Play-based learning and the imp- importance of inquiry-based education, especially at those early years. So we we did all of those um, theories, put them into practice, everything that we learned as educators we put that into practice and our daughter doesn't see it as learning really our daughter doesn't definitely doesn't see it as therapy she sees it as play she sees it as having fun and i think that's the best type of education even for typical children so the results that she is able to accomplish huge part of that came from this new therapy gene therapy that is changing the medical industry but then also capitalizing on the potential of gene therapy by incorporating good, sound educational practices that we teach as educators and that we put into place in schools, in the top schools. What What do we want to do to help our children develop inquiry-based education? So yes, today she she went from not moving, being in the very true sense of the word paraplegic. She couldn't move because of not having dopamine and serotonin to today riding a horse. So she's now riding independently. On Saturday, she was going weaving in between the the trees. We go swimming every Sunday. She can go underwater. She can grab rings. She's running. She's doing all those things. When I walk in, she runs up, she gives me a big hug, oh. says, Daddy, you're home. I love you. Yeah. And that's just that's all we ever wanted as parents. You know, we weren't we weren't dreaming big. We we just wanted that <laughs> that parental parenthood feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. And I even saw her reading recently.
0: Yeah, my wife's done a very good job on that. And she has a lot of patience. She's taught me a lot. And just a little bit about her background. She's a special educator. She's worked with very challenging students and always made progress. We are very passionate educators. So when the day is over and we're in bed together, everything's quiet. We're talking about our students. We're talking about education. And we really do love it. It sounds dorky and nerdy, but... We love doing it. So she was the right person for the job for our daughter. And oftentimes, I, I even tell this to parents, is that it's very difficult to teach your own child because you have this different relationship. You have this different environment that as educators, it puts us in a different situation when we're interacting with those children. So for her to be able to accomplish that with your own daughter, I, I think that really speaks volumes to her potential and her capabilities as a teacher.
1: Certainly. Uh, you know, my husband and I both have the same very similar background as you, and uh, working with our son, <laughs> we always say, you know, I have as a special educator have worked with so many students over the years, and and seen such miraculous success. And then with my own son, I don't see it because it's hard. It's really hard working with your own child, and. Uh, yeah. So (laughs) congratulations on that. (laughs) And yes, Judy is a very impressive teacher.
0: She is. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to join this podcast, because we kind of share this similar story. And I really love when I meet other caregivers that have gone down this path, because there's it can be feeling so isolated, so empty. And then when you connect with someone and you talk about those similar feelings, similar struggles, it really is like a, a therapy session for me it when I, when I'm talking to the other care, caregivers. You're
1: you're absolutely right. And and going back to that, when when Riley M was first diagnosed, did you have support? I I imagine it must have been difficult to find because it was such a rare disease or disorder. Yeah, the support. So, can you yeah. can you say that again? Is it a disease or a disorder? Yeah,
0: and. I, uh, the two are very interchangeable often. Okay. So disease is usually considered something that is well-defined and diagnosed where a disorder could be a little bit ambiguous to what okay. the cause is, but the two are very interchangeable. So either one works for, for okay. us. Thanks. But yeah, uh so back to your question, uh, at the beginning, you were asking about what our diagnosis was like or?
1: Uh, support. Did, did you receive support. support from anyone?
0: Sure. Yeah. So we didn't. And interesting, we knew before we had any sort of medical reports about what our daughter had, because I had that gut instinct. And it's a little bit of a lengthy process to get a diagnosis because you have to do a genetic test. You have to do a couple of things that are sent off to America. And we were overseas at the time. So maybe about two months until we had that ironclad genetic testing. So many of the rare disease communities didn't They're exclusive for a reason, and they want to protect the privacy of the people in those groups. So we actually didn't get into the groups until maybe two months after we knew what it was. Mm -hmm. So I was researching on medical jargon research papers, what was available out there. And you get a lot of information, but it's very clinical, very stale. No um, quantitative quantitative data. You don't get the qualitative data, something that you would get from a parent. So we went to other communities. We went to the epilepsy community, the cerebral palsy community, autism. And basically what I was doing was looking for uh, disorders that had similar symptoms and then finding out what resources they had and then adapting it. And again, that kind of goes back to our educator background. When we're looking for resources, we find out what's out there. We adapt it to meet our students' need, adapt it to meet our environment, or maybe add some real-world application to what what is the topic and how we could weave that into what's happening into the world. And so really, that, that's exactly what we were doing with our daughter. Here's the resources we have. How can we apply it to her needs and to her world today? And that's what we did. And that's what we did to do that. Then when you go into the rare disease community, there still is a lot of limited information. And I think part of that is because there's not a lot of research done. So when hospitals, insurance companies, professionals, when they're starting to engage in some of the uh, therapies involved or potential interventions that you can do, they're very cautious because they don't want to do harm. And I and that's pretty much their their slogan: do sure. no harm. <laughs> right. So they're not going to go into this innovation too far. They're not going to step the boundaries of research-based practices too far, especially if you're in a hospital setting. And Judy and I wanted to go to the next level. We wanted to do more and we wanted to see what was out there. We wanted to explore what can language do to help supplement some of the things where she's delayed at. So we were doing a lot of that, coming up with our own. And again, that's kind of what we want to share to the community, not just um, resources and how to adapt them, but then how to meet the needs of your child. And I I really do believe that we can offer this educational background to help support parents, because again, that's what we're doing in the education world. We're talking to parents and trying to give them the strategies, because even as educators, we only see those children for a limited time in the day. And really, if you can adapt those strategies at home, you're going to make much more progress.
1: Absolutely. So you started Teach Rare. What is your mission at Teach Rare?
0: to provide educational strategies that support therapy goals for parents or caregivers in the rare disease, undiagnosed disease, and special needs community. And we really do focus on those three. Now, when we say rare disease, there's more than 7,000 rare diseases. So even though the, the term rare disease sounds it's rare in the very nature of the word, but it actually equals to about one in 10 Americans will have a rare disease. So when we put them together, we can be a much stronger group, but we differ so much between those 7,000. So sure. the people that we're kind of focusing on may be more that have neurodeficiencies deficiencies or uh, neurological disorders, but we also see the same types of things in the special needs community. So, and my wife has that background. And then there's this group of undiagnosed disease who we were for the first eight months of our daughter's lives and we met other parents that are still waiting Mm -hmm. to receive a diagnosis and they don't know what to do because you can't just say what do undiagnosed parents do for their children so again we we definitely wanted to invite them in and work with them just like how you would do an iep or how we would maybe make an individual lesson plan for a child we can do that same thing with them we don't have to be the experts and and maybe to sidetrack a little bit when, I, when we talk to the doctors, they often defer to us, they often say to us, you are very much the experts in the rare disease community because uh, we may have, I've seen maybe 50 AADC deficiency patients and there's only 130 in the world. So yeah. when a doctor probably never seen one before, mm-hmm. except for the ones that maybe are the ones doing the research. So we are the experts and we try to work with the other parents who are experts Of their own children.
1: Yeah. You know, just going back, it took five years for us to get a diagnosis for our son. Wow. So to have that support of a group like yours, even though it was autism and an intellectual developmental delay, you know, it's not a rare disease, but it's that undiagnosed and to have others supporting, you know, my husband and I were educators, so we knew what to do. In, in some terms, <laughs> you know, yep. to work on some therapy goals and things like that. So going back to that, your approach to support is to adapt educational strategies and combine them with therapy goals. That's so correct. And when we say that. therapy, yeah, sure.
0: When we say therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, uh, sensory integration and behavioral therapy. There's other types of therapy, but you can generally put, um, make them fit in one of those categories, such as horse therapy, you know, that's borderlining inside of physical therapy because you're using these gross motor skills. Uh, swim or aqua therapy, you can combine that again with a, a physical type of therapies. But when we look at those five different types of therapy, we will use those to incorporate our educational practices inside of them. And they should be weaved in and out. Through the week. So, our physical therapy schedule right now is about three times a week, occupational therapy, three times a week, horse and swimming, we do those once a week, speech therapy, pretty much every day for that one. We're just now dabbling into behavioral therapy. Judy has a background with ABA. We can adapt a little bit with that. Um, We're looking at uh, sand play therapy and role playing therapy. Judy did a study when she was um, doing her master's on trauma therapy. That really worked when we were going to the hospitals. We just went to the hospital. She has this huge anxiety because she spent the first sure. three years of her life there. Mm-hmm. And when we role played at home, we talk about it. We act it out. She went to the hospital wearing the same outfit. She didn't cry. It was very oh. limited anxiety. And it was just this huge milestone for us. And we definitely celebrated uh, last weekend like, Oh my gosh, this is just huge.
1: You know, that just everything you're saying there, I'm hoping our listeners can just ah, sit back and think about the amount of time and just in taking your child to therapy alone that a parent of a child with very significant needs uh, deals with on a daily and a weekly basis It's just that empathetic piece, right? (laughs) That many of our, you know, people just might not know about. So yes, hours and hours and hours of therapy.
0: Yeah, going to therapy, just like you said, that's the chore. So if you're paying for an hour of therapy, which for us costed about $200 in Singapore, maybe a little bit less, and the first 10 minutes is spent crying, Mm -hmm. then you're trying to work through these episodes and if she's not crying she's very anxious what do you really accomplish during that one hour and that doesn't include the car ride over there or getting ready and the car ride back all that time invested all that energy everyone's spent yes. what can we do inside the home to kind of do more to accomplish more and with less energy
1: yes so you're a relatively new organization. What are your hopes and dreams for the future of Teach Rare?
0: Yes, we've been around now, uh, we're approaching our one year mark, but we've done so much inside of that one year. Very proud of our efforts, but looking forward, I would like to continue our educational approach and adopt a workshop model. So we're doing one and two small workshops where we're making progress, but really in the grand scheme of things, that's very slow moving. And I think we could take it to the next level and kind of what we see with workshops, educational workshops. Uh, if anyone's familiar with ERCOS or an IB workshop or going to a conference, uh, like ISTE conference or something like that, send you a conference there. Yeah, good one. <laughs> you, what, where does the best learning happen is when you put all the stakeholders inside of a room and we all geek out together. And I know that at a senior conference, just for an example, when you put these passionate special educators in a room, magic happens. And not only are there these presentations happening, but just when we have uh, these small little social get togethers, or we make connections or make contacts, amazing things happen. And I really would like to have that happen for our rare disease community. And it happens to a certain extent, but it's usually talking about a therapy or a drug. It's usually talking about the science behind it, I haven't yet seen one where we put everyone in a room and we have therapists, educators, other stakeholders, and we really center around that. Uh, and right now what we're doing is making a caregiver lifestyle series. So when we think about being a caregiver, you you really do have to change your lifestyle. Maybe if you had a serious type of surgery, you would have your doctors telling you, hey, you need to change your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That means everything from what you're doing inside the day, your diet, and what you're not doing. you're not going out. you're not interacting with people the same way you would have. The hobbies that you think you had are now gone and they're they're being changed to something else. and that's not a bad thing. When you make this lifestyle change, you're just learning new ways to do the other things that you used to do.
1: Very good point. So February, tell us about the month of February.
0: February is Rare Disease Day, and I like that they chose the end of the month of February, which is kind of this strange month that sometimes has 29 days, sometimes 28 days, and it really does represent our our holiday. During that month, you'll see rare disease events happen, so it doesn't necessarily have to happen on Rare Disease Day, but we had on the third Sunday, our series begin, which is called the Caregiver Lifestyle Series, and each month, we're doing exactly what we talked about in this podcast. We're focusing on a therapy, and we have professionals showcase that therapy, and they would show three exercises that a family can do. Each exercise would be demonstrated with three different levels because not any every child's different. We're at different levels, so we can't expect to do the same exercise. And anyone that's done an exercise class would Whoever has a good instructor, they do that, right?
1: Yep, exactly. So
0: it's kind of like a normal practice. But then we overlay that with how can you incorporate some educational learning, such as learning colors, learning phonics, incorporating songs and music, very simple things, but they do, they every time you do this with an exercise, it's learning happening and great learning happening. So we're going to have that every month on the third Sunday, and we'll go through all five therapies. And we would like to culminate with the sixth one with a meetup. And we're still planning that one, but that would happen during the summer.
1: Sounds amazing. Well, Richard, you and Judy are true inspirations in our community. And uh, I know I speak for everyone when I say thank you. Thank you for your work. And thank you for sharing your story about Riley Ann. And I'm really encouraging our listeners to watch your Teach Rare videos and learn a little bit more about your organization. So thank you. Thank you for your time today.
0: No, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. And whenever we get the chance to come on programs like this, it's, it's like therapy. I I really do mean it. And it's difficult for me to share my story, but the more I do it, the greater the results for my daughter, the greater the results for our community. And even personally, I, I really do have great, therapy sessions when i get to talk like this so thank you for having me
1: thank you thank
0: you for joining us for today's show for more information including how to subscribe and show notes please head to our website that's SENYaInternational.org slash podcasts until next time cheers